know about you, I had kind of a challenging week this week. Uh, nothing major anything in the ministry, but just personal challenges, different things going through. Lo and behold, I got here last night at Harbin Bowl meeting, and I just made the announcement. I said, is anybody here fighting in different things? I, I was sensing this week. And half the church raised their hand. So last night, we just, uh, we just went a different direction and started laying hands on people and got healings and different things happen. And uh, it was just a great time with the Lord. Praise the Lord. It, it goes to show you that if you get, if you get trapped into a, an habitual thing, a lot of times we can miss God in that. If we come to church like it's a new, brand new day and a brand new church service every time we come together, you can even come through the door and say, this is the day uh, I'm going to get an answer for my prayer. This is the day God's going to, uh, you know, I'm going to have a, a new encounter with Him. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. The title of my message this morning is Transformation and, and Empowerment. And our empowerment comes through an encounter with Christ. Uh, it's nothing we can do. Uh, you can't study your way to an empowerment. You can't memorize scripture to uh, uh, your way to empowerment. Empowerment is something is, that is given by the Lord. But, he is, it, but can I say this? It's generally attached to an assignment that he's already given us. The empowerment of God is usually attached to an assignment. Uh, how many know nothing, uh, I, I wrote this down on my notes, it said, nothing you're facing uh, caught God by surprise. I don't care what we're facing this morning. You may be facing difficulties or problems, but nothing that we're facing this morning caught God by surprise. I want you to know that right off the bat. How I many know the enemy works hard? Who's our enemy? Not, not your neighbor, not the flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against that. Uh, the, the, the stinking, I like to say stinking devil. I don't know if he's got a smell about him. But maybe sometimes, yeah, but anyway, the, the stinking devil. The enemy works hard at constantly reminding us of challenges, problems, failures, difficulties in an effort to keep us disconnected from the things of God as, you know, that God has for us. I'm going to say that again. The enemy works hard at constantly reminding us of challenges, problems, failures. I can put in their shortcomings, uh, uh, difficulties in an effort to disconnect us from the, from the things that God has for us. It is, it's a spiritual warfare by distraction is what it comes down to. If he cannot stop you from doing what you're doing, he'll distract you from what God has called you to do. And that's basically what it is. I want to share some things. I'm, this is kind of where I'm going this morning. Is this okay? Yes. All right. I, I, you can turn to Matthew 28 if you want to. Some of you probably have this memorized. Um, I got it etched in my brain over years, <laughs> but I want to cover some things anyway. Uh, uh, how many know if I mentioned to you this morning, I talk about the great commission of Christ that he gave, gave his disciples. Does anybody know what our great commission is? I'm going to talk about it this morning. In other words, uh, 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 before Jesus ascended to heaven, he spoke with his disciples. That testimony that was given to his disciples, what he told his disciples, is ongoing. There is no place in the scriptures where that came to an end. He just wasn't talking to his disciples. This is how we dismiss ourselves a lot of times from what the scripture says. Well, he wasn't talking to us. He's talking to the church of Corinth. He was, not, he was talking to the Romans. No, no. When the word of God comes down, it's given for generation upon generation upon generation. It's not just for the hearing audience at the time it's spoken. So basically, we can take these things and can constantly be reminded of these things. The Great Commission is still going on. 
How many know that to be true? Um, we have missionaries in foreign countries. I was, for a while, for a season, I went to foreign countries and, brought the, and, and uh, ministered uh, different places like West Africa, uh, Guatemala, uh, uh, Chile, uh, um, places like that, you know, uh, over Europe, London, uh, England, uh, different places that I was, uh, felt led to go to and minister, minister in different churches, helping other pastors. Jamaica, yeah, I went to Jamaica one time. Imagine that, Ava. <laughs> so I went to, went to Jamaica one time and uh, <clears throat> praise the Lord and, and uh, ministered there. So these are things are still going on today. Matthew 28, verse 18 says this, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, talking about came to his disciples uh, and, and spoke to them. This is, this is at the after the resurrection. He hasn't ascended yet. How many know? Jesus went to the cross. He died, was buried. Third day rose again from the dead. And he showed himself to his disciples and to his brethren. I'm going to get into that in a minute too. But he showed himself. This is the time that he's sharing this scripture in Matthew 28. He hasn't ascended. It's right before he ascends up into heaven. This is amazing. To get into the earth, he had to be born. But to get out of here, he just floated out. Hmm, what was the difference? <laughs> Amen. Uh, he had to be born to get in here, but once he had, hey, uh, uh, the, the Bible says, I'll show you, share why. The Bible says, remember when, when Jesus was baptized? Now, we generally think baptism today is regeneration. We also think baptism is uh, forgiveness of sins, is a washing, it's a cleansing. If you go to the Old Testament, they don't use the word baptismo, that's Greek. Uh, they, use, uh, they use the word washing, and, and the Hebrew word for washing. And it was a, a cleansing. Well, let me ask you this. Did Jesus need washing? Did he need cleansing of anything? But yet he goes up to John and he says, baptize me. Uh, I'm going to tell you why the ascension was so easy. Because at that particular time, John didn't want to do it. He said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. He said, baptize me. And he, he insisted. When John baptized him, Jesus went down under the water. And, and when he came up, it said the heavens parted. If you look at that word in the Greek, it's the same word that when, the, when Jesus was crucified, rocks were rent. They were parted. Same word. So what happened? The clouds just didn't puff away and go side to side. The heavens were ripped open. Whatever the barrier was built uh, around the earth from the time of Adam's sin, Satan had this container that he was bound in. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were ripped open, and there's been an open heaven over us ever okay. since. So when Jesus ascended, there was nothing to hold him back. There was no ceiling. There was nothing. There was no, that thing had been ripped open, and there's an open heaven. Jacob had that prophecy, and he was saying that he saw when he went to sleep and had that, had that vision of prophecy, he said he saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Remember Jacob's ladder, ascending and descending. What he was seeing, he was seeing exactly what happened when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism and divided the heavens. And the heavens were divided. And the, the, the barrier, whatever that barrier was over the earth, has been removed. So when Jesus ascended, he just floated out of here. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> but the angel came and said, why are you guys gazing? He said, the same Jesus that left here is returning. Amen. In other words, guys, stop standing around staring. Get busy. Amen. 
And that was a word not just to the disciples, that was a word to generation after generation after generation, and that's the same word to our generation today. Get busy for the kingdom of God. Let's see what that means. I'll go ahead. In, ver in, in verse 18 of Matthew 28, and Jesus came and spoke to him, saying, All authority, mark that down, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All, all authority. Does, say, does your Bible say all authority? That means all authority has been given unto Christ. Satan doesn't have any. I want to emphasize that. Satan doesn't have any authority. I, I, I have to say that a couple times because I remember when I was doing some work in the mission field and doing things in the mission field, I ran across churches that had more fear of the devil than they did of God. They, they were, seemed to be afraid. I said, why? I had one time, uh, I was in Ghana, West Africa, and uh, my, I had traveled with four different translators to go around that country. I was out in a bush in every place in that, in that country from Kamasi to uh, Accra. And, uh, and they were saying, they said, well, we're, we're a little upset, Pastor. Uh, we're, we're supposed to take care of you in a meeting. And, and, and we got word back that this village that we're going to next, uh, that a witch doctor was going to show up there and, 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 and call you out or, or, or cause trouble in your meetings or whatever. And so we're, we're trying to figure out, we isn't trying to figure out how to, how to skirt around it. I says, don't. I says, call him out. I said, matter of fact, I said, give him a personal invitation for me. I'd like to see him at my meetings. And they, they looked at me like, huh? <laughs> Are you nuts? No, he is. And I, said, I said, let me tell you something. I've traveled over 6,000 miles. I said, to come here to bring truth and to bring the gospel. I can't think of a better way to come in and demonstrate the gospel than to demonstrate Jesus himself. Jesus doesn't back down from the devil, either do I. I don't have permission, I don't have biblical precedence to do that. I got, long story short, the guy never did show up. And we had healing after healing. We had miracles happen in that meeting. It was, it was fantastic in, in West Africa. And uh, I, I like the four translators, four young guys, they were translators. Uh, and and uh, they, they just looked at me, they, just, they, didn't, they didn't know what to think. They went back, they told everybody what I did. <laughs> and they were, they were saying, no, no, this is what it is. God has given us the assignment, but I can't find one scripture to where he pulled the assignment back. I can hear man's testimony as an observation, that's what they think happened, but I can't find one scripture. If I can't find one scripture, I'm not obligated to move on what somebody thinks. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right. He said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. He said, go, listen to this. Here's the assignment, part of the assignment. Verse 19, he says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I am with you always. Underline that, mark it. I am with you always because even in the difficult times in your life, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, what does he say? He said, well, if we pray, God will make disciples. Is that what it says? <laughs> all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. He said, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them. Who is he talking to? He's talking to us. Well, he was talking to the disciples at the time, but there's a carried over testimony that comes to our generation. He's talking to us. In other words, you go make disciples. 
Isn't it amazing what happens a lot of times? They want to sit and pray and say, God, deliver me from this. God, take this away from me. God, when God is saying, no, I'm waiting for you to do something I can get involved with. And if you're doing my word and walking out my word, then now I can get involved with that. Now the authority that rests on Jesus, with Jesus on us, that same authority rests on us. But it only rests on us when we can understand and work for what Jesus has told us to do. Can't make it up yourself. <clears throat> Amen? So guess what? We have free reign to make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student, a learned one. In other words, we can entice people to learn from the Lord and go back to his word and learn of Jesus. Let me ask you something. How many of your disciples are in here this morning? How many of your disciples are watching me on live stream this morning? You're a disciple as long as you're learning. But when you stop learning, are you still considered a disciple? If you have no interest in the house of the Lord, can you consider yourself a disciple? If you have no interest in what God is doing this hour, can you can, can classify yourself into discipleship? I know you, you judge yourself, at least to be judged, but I mean, this is what we're talking about. Amen? He said, make disciples. Baptism is a sign that we're disciples of Christ. What a baptism. Amen? Praise the Lord. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. What is he with us in? in the making of the disciples, in the carrying out of the assignment that he has given us, he's with us always. He's not with us always as far as, well, Jesus never leaves us. I mean, we, we carry the Spirit, so understand what I'm saying. But he's not obligated to interfere if you want him just to bless what you're doing. Wow. God is not our servant. We're his. Amen. Are you here? So this, this is what we need to understand. He's not obligated to do something because, well, Lord, you said in your word. Yes, he said in the word. Are you doing what he's called you to do in the word? Now he will be there to back it, and you can count on it. Amen? But if we have an idea of what we want to, how we want to be blessed, and we just want God to give us our blessing, but have no inclination at all to lay our life down to serve him, guess what? He's not obligated. And all authority is being given to Jesus. So there is no other authority than what Jesus can, has, has, uh, contains within him. Satan doesn't have any authority. Certainly doesn't have any authority over your life or my life. He doesn't have any authority at all. Only what you'll give him. Amen. If you're willing to submit to anybody, anybody will have authority if you're willing to submit. But you're just stupid if you do. <laughs> I mean, why would we? I mean, if when, no, I submit myself to Christ. I submit my life to Christ and him. Oh, we gotta go, I got to get going. But I mean, how many got that so far? I'm just, this is just Matthew. There's three synoptic gospels plus John. I mean, I'll talk about. <laughs> anyway, that's the one that I think is the most complete in one shot. But he said this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says to me, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, uh, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Two things he mentioned. All authority has been given unto me. But he says, you shall be endued with power. So two things I want to I highlight here, power and authority. What's the difference? They're two separate words in the Greek. Matter of fact, if you look at Matthew 28, where it says all authority, 
uh, if you, the King James Version uses the word power in there instead of authority. But it's still the Greek word. It didn't change the Greek word. The Greek word is, is uh, exousia. Is I saying that right, Maria? Exousia. Exousia? exousia. Thank you. Uh, I, I said it right. It sounded the same to me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maria is my Greek expert here. Praise the Lord. But the word power in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the word power is deutimus. I like that because it sounds like dynamite. <laughs> dynamite. I mean, praise the Lord, like explosive, you know. Deutimus is power. So the two, there are two different Greek words, two different terms. So Jesus says you have authority and power. He says, in other words, you remember he, he talked to the disciples and he said to the disciples, he says, uh, uh, it is expedient. In other words, it's to your advantage. Uh, that I go away. Now, I'm sure there wasn't one of the 11 disciples that were standing there listening to this agreed with that, with that word. How many ever had a word that Jesus spoke to you that you didn't agree with? Uh-huh. Thank you for your honesty. Praise the Lord. And the rest of you are just religious. Praise the Lord. Amen. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, just from, I also say, when God told me to come to Key West uh, almost 34 years ago, I had an argument. I said, really? Okay, but what I'll do, I'll start out in obedience. Can I start in Key Largo? <laughs> and I worked my way down with another pastor, and we were praying, walked our way down. And we never heard a thing from the Lord until we hit Key West. Not a thing. And we just saw, at Key West, it was like booming. Like, you'd have to be a jackass to miss it. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to want to miss it on purpose. It was like that. God did everything for me but write it in the sky. This is where I want you. This is okay. Follow your last order first. You never say anything. From here, I've gone around the world. I've, I've, I've preached the gospel on five different continents. Right from here, right from Key West Airport, because I ain't driving to Miami. I'll fly there. I ain't driving there. <laughs> but anyway, praise the Lord. Amen. So he, so he says in Mark chapter 16, there's another, some more of the, of the this is, they're writing this down, as Jesus is saying, it's part of the commission, what we call the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Now it's not just making disciples, it's preaching the gospel. Not just preaching, not just getting up and talking, but preaching the gospel. Bring the good news. Bring the things that Jesus was teaching, the things that he's teaching. He didn't say your theology is going to necessarily agree with it. I don't care about your theology. He said, preach the gospel. Don't preach your theology. No, we're not preaching your idea. We're preaching what Jesus has said, the gospel and what he has given us and what he has shown us and how he's walked it out. Wow. Can I hear an amen? Wow. That's, what he's, that's what we're doing. Preach the gospel to every creature. Creature? Well, I don't know about you. got lizards in my backyard. I ain't preaching no gospel to the lizards. Now, the word creature, what he's referring to is every nationality, every uh, uh, language, everything, every, per every person on the planet has entitled to this thing, preach the good news, preach the gospel. So that's the, that's the commission. That's the order. This is not a suggestion, by the way. This is not if you find time. This is what it's called to do in some way, shape, or form. Now, you may not be the one that, has, that is called to go preach these things, but certainly you are helping by supporting those that, go, that have the call to do those things. Praying, uh, 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 prayer support is a big thing. Well, I'll tell you, there's some places I've been to in Guatemala that take you a week to get your hair combed back down. 
There's some things I've seen in West Africa. Man, you don't never want to see them again. <laughs> they're, they're dark places in, in these kind. Of, I'm not saying the whole country, but there's dark places that God will bring you to because you are the light that He wants to shine into those dark places. Amen. A lot of times, but maybe not. Maybe you're not. That was my call. That doesn't mean it's particularly your call. But guess what? I had lots of support. And I had a church that prayed. Oh, I, I appreciate a church that prayed when I was doing these things. But this was the commission. Everybody knows this. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, he goes on to say in verse 16. Uh, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, listen, these signs shall follow those who believe. You're not following the signs. The signs are following you. All right? These signs shall follow them. In my name they shall cast out demons. Well, I thought that was just, uh, you know, I thought that was just superstition. No, it's real. He said, in my name, you'll cast out demons. You will cast them out. He didn't suggest that you cast them out. He said, no. In my name, they will cast out, the ones that are called will cast out demons, as a matter of fact. They will speak with new tongues. That comes from the empowerment of what is in the book of Acts. Amen. But that wasn't the last thing. What I just gave you was not the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. Here's the last thing. Are you ready for it? This is the last thing. Luke chapter 24 and verse 48-49. You, and you are witnesses of these things. In other words, you saw these things. You're witnesses of these things. Witnesses have a testimony. I'll get into that in a minute. He says, but he says you are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Hmm. He said, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until the end, until you are endued with power from on high. He said, in other words, don't leave Jerusalem until you've got the power. Isn't that amazing? He said, in other words, this is what you're going to need first. That was the last instruction that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven. Amen? Now get this. Acts 1, verse 15, they're in the upper room. How many remember the upper room? How many were in the upper room? Does anybody know how many people were in the upper room? 120. I heard 120. 120 going once. 120 going twice. Sold. Sold. 120. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Praise the Lord. 120. But here's something maybe you didn't know. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He said, Jesus appeared to 500 brethren. In other words, at his resurrection, before his ascension, he appeared to 500. I got a question. Where's the other 380? What are they doing? Because it was 120 that believed Jesus. I don't know what the percentage-wise of that is. Believed Jesus and took him at his word and met in the upper room. I wonder what the 380 were doing. But he, he showed himself. To, for, now, how many remember what happened was uh, 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 Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50. Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. Jesus was resurrected on Passover, and he showed himself 40 days to 500 of the brethren. That's what happened. That meant at the ascension, at the end of 40 days, he ascended into heaven. After he said all these things, ascended into heaven, they had 10 days in that prayer meeting. What did they do for 10 days in a prayer meeting? 
And I don't know if the 500 started out, but there was 120 left over. I don't know how this worked out. But Jesus told the same commission to over 500, or to the 500 brethren. 120 took it for serious and went and stayed in the upper room. Amen? Guess what? That 120 experienced what Jesus was sharing. There was 380 that missed out on the, on the, on the Pentecostal experience, so to speak, if I want to say it that way, uh, uh, because they weren't there. Jesus specifically says, he says, you tarry in Jerusalem, don't you leave. You stay here until this happens. I think it was a test in obedience more than anything else, it seemed like it. And a great earthquake hit. When an earthquake hit, of course, the Holy Spirit fell onto those in the upper room. And what happened was, the speaking in tongues didn't attract the people. It was the earthquake. But many people from Jerusalem were all attracted to this one place. Said, what's going on? We heard an earthquake. You know, what's happening? And they heard them in their own language, speaking in tongues, and heard them in their own language. And then they said, these guys are drunk. So this must have been some kind of a chaotic event because they call him, because Peter steps out and says, no, we're not drunk, it's only a third hour. <laughs> I would have picked better words than that for me, but that's what Peter said anyway. And uh, he said what happened was he began to preach about Jesus and 3,000 souls gave their heart to the Lord in that, in that one, one time, in that one day. So, so that was quite, a, quite an experience. That's how the Holy Spirit came into the earth. Amen. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto us. There was an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and then there was an empowerment. Amen. Did you catch that? Yes. Just looking at the Pentecost, there was an empowerment that came after an encounter. But there had to be an encounter. To have the encounter, they had to be where God had placed them. Amen. It wasn't their choosing. They did not choose Jerusalem. They were from Galilee. And I'll tell you right now, it's about 70 miles or so from where they lived in Galilee to Jerusalem. They're, they're away from home. But Jesus had told them, do not leave, do not depart. And we know there was 10 days that they didn't leave. They had to stay there uh, in, in Jerusalem, whatever, how they were to stay. So they had a prayer meeting for 10 days where they had a prayer meeting where they sat there and talked about who was the greatest. Remember that little discussion on the road? Uh, uh, you know, and it, maybe they got all that stuff ironed out or, or sorted out. But the fact is, they, were, they had to be where Christ told them to be. They had to have, be in a geographical location to experience what Christ told them to experience. And that 120 experienced something that the remaining 380 never got a ha handle on. Why? Because they were where Jesus told them to be. Mm -hmm. Are you here this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. Not only did they do that, I'm, I'm, I, I was going to, I, and, uh, I, I look at these scriptures, I've looked at these scriptures for years, and it just amazes me on the, the self-discipline and the obedience of these disciples. For one thing, they had to sit there and listen. This was, this was Jesus. This was the guy that took the loaves and fishes, held them up to heaven, blessed and asked for God's blessing on it, handed it back to the disciples, and God multiplied it enough to feed almost 10,000 people. There 5,000 men is what they said, but they didn't mention women or children. Took a little boy's lunch and magnified. They remembered that. 
Jesus showed him how to do that. He said, he said, here, he held it up to the Father and he thanked him. What did he thank the Father for? He thanked the Father for not having enough. When he took it, when he took it and passed it to the disciples, it was still the same. It still was short. But as they took it from Jesus and began to break the fish and the loaves, it began to multiply and multiply. Not only did they feed over almost 10,000 people or more, they, they had 12 baskets left over for themselves. What was the 12 baskets for? Three-day journey where God would take them to another place and he'll do it again. <laughs> and this is the guy who says, it's better for me to go than to stay? That had to be mind-boggling. How is it better for Jesus to leave us? Jesus, you're the one who's providing for us. You're, giving, you're showing us the way. How is it better? Many times, God will put you in a position where you think you're going downhill, and he's really trying to get you uphill. Because what happens better isn't our idea of what better or comfortable is. Better becomes what God says it is and what he fulfills through us. Can I, can I use another example? Okay, well, I got a couple examples. Let me go to, go to Paul. We know Paul, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it changed his life. It changed his life, but it also changed his position. I don't mean his geographical location. I mean his position. He was uh, in the Sanhedrin. He, was, I mean, he had the religious leaders. He was at the top of his game. He was a son of a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He had all these other things going for him. He had the education. He had the smarts. All of a sudden, he meets Jesus. He says, why are you persecuting me? Because he just had Stephen stoned to death, the first deacon in the church. And he changed like that. And he went blind. And Jesus sent another one of his disciples to lay hands on him. The scales fell off his eyes so he got his sight back. From that point on, Paul did not go back but went forward. But something else happened to Paul. Paul was a Jew. He was an a, a, a exquisite Jew. I mean, a Jew of all Jews. But something happened to where he got a heart for the Gentile. Like nobody's business. I mean, not like Peter, not like any of the disciples. He had a heart for the Gentile. Now, you're talking about a man that never walked with Jesus. He didn't hear, hear all the, He didn't have the, 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 the along-the-road conversations with him. He didn't have any of that. All he had was a vision of Jesus coming to him. He said, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, it changed his entire life to where now this Jew of exquisiteness, uh, higher echelon Jew, is now pining for the Gentile. So he keeps praying, God, send me to Rome. Let me go to Rome. He's, he's, uh, so he's at, a, he's at a gathering one day. And he runs across a man by the name of Agabus. Agabus was a prophet. Acts chapter 21, verse 10. It said, and, and we stayed many days, a certain prophet by the name of Agabus came down from Judea. And when he came to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit. Okay? So shall the Jews in Jerusalem. This is his bunch. So will the Jews in Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and delivers him into the hands of the Gentile. Guess what? We're going to Rome. <laughs> so the very guys that he used to pander with, the very guys that he used to be part of, now turn coat on him 
and are going to turn them over to the Gentiles. Why? Because they figure the Gentiles are not going to be fair to a Jew. He got no chance. They want, they want to do him in. But Paul's been praying. He says, send me to Rome. Send me to Rome. I'm sure his idea of going to Rome was different than God's idea of him getting to Rome. Because Paul didn't go as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. I said it that way because it just has two P's in it. Sounds cool. <laughs> but that's the truth. Remember, he's sitting on a ship. He's bound. He's telling the guys, don't sail. They're not a good day to sail. Going to hit a hurricane. Don't sail. Oh, who are you? Shut up. You're just a prisoner. Get out in the middle of the Mediterranean. Guess what they hit? Uh-huh. Now the ship goes down. He says, stay with the ship and no life will be lost. Stay with the ship. And all. Now they're listening a little better. There was a, a Roman guard assigned to Paul 24-7. I don't know if they were linked together. However, Paul is getting exactly what his heart desired from the Lord. Can you imagine the guy hooked up to Paul? You're not going to hear nothing out of him but Jesus. I mean, can you imagine by the time he, before he even got to, 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 to Rome or to any, any place else, before he even went to a storm, he had everybody on that ship. <laughs> he preached too. <laughs> then he goes to Rome. And what do they do? They bring him before Caesar himself. But as a prisoner, as a prisoner. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to share some things with you. Thirteen books in this Bible were written by Paul. I mean, the penmanship. Of course, we all know it's the Holy Spirit in, in uh, uh, written. But 13 books here were written by Paul. Are you ready for this? Paul went to prison. And he ends up, he ends up dying in prison at the ripe old age of 61, 62, something like that. He wasn't very old man, but he, was, he, he died in prison. At the time he died, seven of the books, seven of those 13 books that he wrote were while he was in prison. Can I suggest to you this morning that no matter what the circumstances, the will of God was carried out. No matter what positioning, he wasn't waiting until he got free before he starts doing the commission that Christ had given. Nope. Okay. Is this what we're doing? Okay, we're going. I mean, talk about a bad day. You're going in chains. You're bound to a Roman uh, uh, soldier. The ship runs into a hurricane. They stay with the boat. No life is lost. They're trying to wrap the ship because the ship's coming apart like a cheap watch. All of a sudden, they come up to the island of Malta. They get off the island. They finally swim the shore. Paul is helping out. He's carrying wood. And he gets bit by a snake, a viper, a deadly viper. He shakes it off into the fire and continues on doing what he's doing. And they're all amazed because all the Maltese people are looking at him and saying, he's going to die any minute. Right. But he doesn't die. What's the matter with him? He didn't die. What, what, he was bit. We saw him bit, bit with a snake, but he didn't die. I don't know. In most Christian circles, that would be countered as a bad day. But Paul was seeing something different. No, no. He wasn't seeing the bad day. He was seeing God's will being carried out. Oh, this is just an annoyance. I'm seeing God's will called that. Bit by a viper? I shook it off. Look, it's not even swollen. That's not a bad day. Look at because I got bit and I'm not dying. All these people, I got all their attention. God set on a stage. Well, he's in prison. He gets special treatment eventually. Eventually. He gets special treatment to where he gets a, 
a, a runner, a carrier, and he's actually apostling the churches from a Roman prison where he wrote seven more books of the Bible. Amen? Some of those books are, well, uh, Romans is one that he wrote before he was a prisoner. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians were the six books he wrote before he was a prisoner. Here's the books that he wrote when he was in prison. Ephesus, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. He wrote those while he was incarcerated. <laughs> he wrote those while he was chained to Romans. That must have been awkward. In other words, what are we going with this, Pastor? In other words, the assignment of Christ cannot stop because of circumstances. The worshiping of God cannot be put on hold because we have other things to do. The purpose of God, when we put God first place and the things that he has for us first place, then God can be about our business. What was, whose desire was it to go to Rome? Paul's. God never in, 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 indicated that was his vision. But Paul said, no, if I could just go to Rome and get to the Gentile. He was already Antioch. Antioch was the biggest Gentile gathering you can imagine. There was Jews there too. But there was in Antioch, man, he had an audience. How many's ever heard the word Christian? How many's ever been accused of that? I hope everybody in this sanctuary has been accused of it. You know where that term came from? Antioch. It's a Gentile term. That means nothing to a Jew. To a person, to us, Christian means a follower of Christ. That term came from Antioch and the church of Antioch. That Paul was, that Paul was over. Help anybody this morning. Yes. Praise the Lord. Are we learning anything? Okay, at least praise the Lord. Gideon. Can I talk about Gideon? I got six minutes so I can do this. Praise the Lord. Gideon. I shared Gideon. This is one of my, my favorite Old Testament stories because you know why? Gideon, just like we are. Doubtful, you know, stubborn, <laughs> in the face of God. <laughs> Come on, you might as well laugh at yourself or somebody else will. <laughs> Praise the Lord, amen. Anyway, in Judges, this is interesting. You know the story, I went over this before, Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press. If you've got to thresh wheat in a wine press, you're hiding. You're not threshing wheat. Wheat is, you're not going to get much wheat out of a, out of a thresh in, in a small confined area. Amen. You need big broad areas so the wind can take the shaft and so on and so forth. That's how they do it. And, uh, but Gideon's trying to get enough food because the enemy, every time they grow crops, the enemy would come in and um, take out the crops. Take it for themselves and then burn the rest and scorch earth policy was the policy of the enemy. And the people cried out to God for a deliverer. And the angel come up, he's sitting under a tree, and here's Gideon. And he says, thou mighty man of valor, God will never agree with your depression. He will never degree, agree with your bad positioning. He'll never agree with your weaknesses, because if he does, you'll never get rid of them. So what he said to Gideon, he says, Gideon, he says, thou mighty man of valor. He said, I'm not a mighty man of valor. No, 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 no. He said, I come from Manasseh. I come to the, you know, I'm the least in my family. My family's the least in the tribe. The tribe is the least in Israel. And we have the least, the least, the least, the least, the least. In other words, I'm just a, just a, 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 just a, a, a bug here uh, to be stepped on by the enemy. The angel listens to all this. When Gideon gets done ranting and raving, sometimes like we do, um, 
He turned to the angel and says, go in this strength of yours, you mighty man of valor. What he just demonstrated and what he just gave was not strength, it was weakness. What happened next, you really have to take apart the Hebrew to really understand it. But what happens next is something that is really, un, really something else. It's in Judges chapter 6 and verse 34. I haven't shared this before, so this is going to be new to some of you. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That's what the Bible says. That's, um, that's the New King James translation, whatever translation says. That particular scripture, and this is after he says, go in this strength of yours. In other words, he let Gideon vent. God had all kinds of mercy for this guy. I don't know why, but he had all kinds of mercy. And he, he, so, so he said, he let him, let, let him go. So he, when he got done, he, he, he said the first thing, he said, the mighty man of valor. The second thing he said, the last thing he said to Gideon was, go with this strength of yours, you mighty man of valor. In other words, Gideon's complaining didn't change the mind of God. Neither will yours. Ours. Our complaining doesn't change the purpose God has for us. Our complaining and our theological arguments do not bear any weight with God. He still will say the same thing at the end. Now, mighty man of valor, go in this strength of yours. What strength? He was talking weakness. But God is not going to say what he sees. He's going to say what he says. He's going he's to speak this over him, and it's going to come upon him. When I got to this verse here, I took it apart in the Hebrew, and this is what I found out. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon, underline that, came upon Gideon. You know what it means? It means this in Hebrew. I don't, know how, I don't know how you get your mind around this thing, but this is what it means. It's kind of bizarre, but what it means is God put Gideon on like a coat. He, he, he wrapped, that's what it, that's what it says in, 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 in Hebrew. It, it says, um, the word in the Hebrew is labash. And labash means to wrap around, that is to put on a garment or clothe oneself. Gideon didn't have what God needed, so God came into Gideon, and Gideon became the clothing of God. What does he do next? We know what Gideon does next. He goes, he tears down the altars of Baal. And he blows a trumpet, and 32,000 troops line up behind him and said, we're ready to fight with you. We'll come against the enemy. Why? He's clothed. God has used, him, used Gideon like a garment. <laughs> it's God standing there in, in Gideon's place. Yes. And then God begins to observe and he tells Gideon, send these home. Now, it's too many to give it to the hands of man. And he comes down to 300. He reduces it down. How many know this for to be a fact? We can look at Gideon. The reduction of numbers was not punishment, but empowerment. When God said there's too many to give into the hands of the Midianites, means that there was too many for them to get killed. <clears throat> They're going to get killed because their hearts aren't into the warfare. So God had to reduce the numbers. It wasn't punishment for Gideon. It was empowerment because now <clears throat> the 300 have to do <clears throat> excuse me, what 32,000 were supposed to do. <clears throat> So what happens? How do you get 300 men and women to do what 32,000 are supposed to do is you have to empower them. <clears throat> do you see what I'm saying about empowerment? 
Empowerment is for the task at hand. Mm -hmm. To sit in front of a TV set and keep flipping the channels, you don't need the empowerment of God. You really don't. If every once in a while you wake up with a headache, you don't need the power of God to cure that headache because Jesus already took that from you. You just claim it. There's nothing for you to do. But to step out in the things that look impossible, like take on a city like Key West, now we need God's empowerment. Now I'm paying attention. Amen? Because there doesn't seem to be enough here to get the job done. I mean, if we had half the city, we probably wouldn't be seeing enough to get the job done. But the fact is, it doesn't seem to be enough. But God is, is, a, is a Lord over things that seem to be shortages, and Gideon will agree with that. <clears throat> Amen? So two men I mentioned this morning, Paul, to recap, and Gideon, Paul had it on his heart to go ahead and, uh, and, and, and go to Rome. But God sent him by a different way than what he expected. What would happen to today if something happened and God got us through, but it was different than what we expected? Are we going to love him or curse him? Amen? Gideon had to interrupt his routine. I'm sure he had a routine on, on threshing wheat, and he had a good idea on how to thrash wheat. But he, he couldn't do that and still do the way God wants to do. So God put him on like a coat and says, together, <clears throat> let's go get the enemy. Gideon out of that 300 didn't lose one man. Not even close. As a matter of fact, what God did, he did something supernatural. He put a fear in the camp of the enemy. Are you here? Amen. There's two things that we understand. Do you think Gideon knew that God was with him? How many of you think Gideon knows? It's not a trick question. I just think what your, what your opinion is. My opinion? Yeah. If God puts you on like a coat, you can't help but know God. <laughs> you go to sleep with God, you wake up with God, you eat with God, you talk with God, and everything about it is, is, is Jehovah, is, is presence is there. Do you know we have the same, the same um, uh, privilege when we come together where two or three are gathered, my, Jesus and my spirit is in the midst of those gather. He's not putting us on like a coat. Like that was that was different. That was a little bit bizarre, but that's was different for Gideon. But Jesus is there. If we came to church for no other reason, I mean, if there was no message going forth, there was no. Wouldn't it be worth it to go to church where Jesus would be at? What if we gathered in the name of Christ? Would it still be worth it? Hmm. Then I gotta assume by that affirmation. I gotta assume that when we're not gathering here or when we don't feel like gathering here, it's not the Spirit of God. Because you just acknowledge it's worth our while to come together regardless of what happens. It's not what we do. It's not our, our, our positioning, but what he's called us to do. Helping anybody? Yes. I woke up, um, I went to sleep last night with this on my mind. I woke up this morning and it was ringing in my ear again. I'm going to close with this. People don't realize it, but Paul writes this in Romans. Paul's one of my heroes in the New Testament. If you haven't figured that one out yet, as far as all the disciples, Jesus is my real hero. But I mean, Paul, I, 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 love, his, I love his tenacity. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but is righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many has ever read that scripture or memorized that scripture? I'll read it again. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. That's not what the kingdom of God is. Now, we have fellowship uh, 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 the last Sunday of the month, and we, we have a good time. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know what, what, that, what that means? That means that that's a felt reality. Amen. It's tangible. You can feel it. If you have peace, can you feel peace? Yes. If you have joy, how many have joy? Can you feel joy? Yes. The only thing is that righteousness isn't felt, but two out of the three is a felt reality. Amen? Here's what happens, and I came out of religion, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this, but religion idolizes concept. It idolizes concept but avoids personal experience. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit must be a felt reality. Otherwise, Jesus just becomes a concept. And if that's all we have to go on, I'm not taking on the enemy on a concept. I want the presence and the felt reality of Christ. But if the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, there's three things, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, and two of those are felt realities, there should be no doubt in our minds that we're in the kingdom of God and that God's presence is in the place. If, if, if God's presence is a felt reality, not just the concept, the way those two things out, then we should know when we're in the presence of God and when we're not. Yes. Correct? Because we're not talking about concept, but we're talking about personal experience, the thing religion avoids. I, went, I was in religion, and all of a sudden, a guy witnessed to me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the church I was in didn't believe in that. So I went back and told them my experience. But you see, their concept didn't agree with my experience. So basically, my experience must have been flawed, even though I had biblical proof. <laughs> all right, I'm a probably close with that because I got a whole bunch of other stuff and I got three more pages that I don't have time to go over to, to this morning. But how many got something out of the Word this morning? Yes. <clears throat> I know I give you a bunch of stuff to think about and this is all recorded so you can go back over if you missed something I said because you're a daydreamer went to Hawaii and came back or not. Uh, but the fact is, is <laughs> but um, I, feel, I, I shared this message this morning because I feel we're in a season. We need to know this. And though things may be, get dis, may be a discomfort or whatever, you've got to know because you've got to be, no. There are cha- we're in a changing world right now. Remember, uh, uh, the Bible talks about the end times. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Well, we no longer have rumors of wars. We have wars. And it's not so much the wars around the globe. It's the, where they're located that's got my attention. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not crying, well, God's coming back tomorrow and you all need to give it. No, no, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm saying, who, what is the church's responsibility in the last days, if you believe we live in the last days, how close we are, it doesn't matter. Uh, no one knows the day or the hour, but the Father anyway. But the fact is, is where would the ch- how is the church supposed to position itself? I had to talk to my leadership this morning before the service. We should be positioning ourselves not on a defensive, the church should be on the offensive, not towards people, not against people, or politics. Good Lord, don't get me there. Amen? But on the offensive, towards the powers of darkness. 
and do what we need to do come against the power of the darkness. This is the hour. And what Satan tries to do, he tries to diminish our purpose in God in an effort to deflect us from it. You understand? Because he has no authority. I just read to you this morning, God's got all the authority. He has no authority, so all he has is manipulative capabilities. Amen? Amen. He'll make you think things that you never thought you could think. <laughs> and then when you start thinking on those things for a long time, that thinking becomes meditation, and meditation becomes uh, seated in the soul, and all of a sudden it becomes a belief system. And it all started with, has God really said? He used that stupid line all the way back to the garden with Eve. And he used the same line of the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. If you be the son of God, turn these rocks into loaves of bread. Why? If, I'm begin- if I am the son of God, I'll just translate myself to the supermarket. Watch me translate. Philip did it. I can do it. Watch me translate right in a Publix Ice cream aisle. <laughs> you ever, anybody ever go on a fast and you can't get food out of your mind? Oh, praise God, I'm not going to. Like right now. <laughs> and you had breakfast. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Not yet? Oh, okay, praise the Lord. So we'll call it brunch then. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you've given us. And I hope we got our, our, our general thinking uh, in, in, headed into a direction, Father God, that will add uh, to this church, add to our ministry. But more than that, Father God, add to your kingdom. You've commissioned us not to build a work or not to build a ministry. We do that anyway. We do that out of, it's just a natural thing. You commissioned us to build the kingdom of God and to bring people into the kingdom of God by the gospel. I pray, Father God, that your anointing fall on everybody in this room that heard this message this morning. And Lord, that you bless them in the name of Jesus. And whatever that means. But Lord, help us to understand that not every difficulty is the devil. And not every difficult situation but is, can, can be placed in our, our, in our not all things, but, but, but there are some that are, that are there for our spiritual growth and edification. And we thank you, Father God, at the end of the day that we will find ourselves in your glory and find ourselves looking towards you, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us with that felt reality, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. And all the church said, Amen.